the, the book of Job every Sunday for four years. Wow. So, Romans is so much more fun. <laughs> but this morning, turn with me to the book of Proverbs, 16th chapter of Proverbs. I got it. Pastor and teacher Stephen Lawson one time said, The Bible is not hard to understand. It can just be hard to swallow. <laughs> the Bible is clear that God is sovereign and in control of all things. We all believe that God is sovereign. Do you not? But I think a lot of times we give nothing but lip service to the fact that God is sovereign. Uh, we want God to be sovereign in everything that I can't control. By the way, in case you didn't know it, that's everything. We just haven't figured that out yet. So uh, the Bible declares that Isaiah says in Isaiah 46.10 that God is the one who ordains and knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything. Uh, Psalm 115 and verse 3 says that God can do whatever He wants. It says, "For our, but our God is in the heavens, and He does whatever He pleases. The sovereignty of God just simply means that God can do whatever God wants. Whenever God wants, however God wants, for the simple reason that He is God. And I want us to see this morning, um, you know, I think in the last six months, this is the third sermon I have preached on the sovereignty of God from different passages. But I want us to understand that the sovereignty of God for the believer is one of our greatest comforts. It's one of the most wonderful things that we can ever discover about God. Um, but, but these things can really challenge our faith. The concept of God's sovereignty can make us uncomfortable because, well, I have free will. And God can't violate that free will. The only problem with that is, it's not true. It is not true. It is true that we do have free will, but then again, you don't. You understand that, right? Okay, so I can move on. No, I know. That's a hard thing to understand. We have free will, but then again, we don't have free will. The thing we need to understand is the Bible says that in and of ourselves, we are sinful creatures with a sin nature. Sin dwells. Paul said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. God said just before the flood that the thoughts and intents of men's hearts was only evil continually. Your will is constrained by your nature. You can only make choices in accordance with your nature. And man's free will can never choose. Listen, my free will can never, ever ever choose anything except sin. Never. So, we are constrained by this. Now, for someone to say, I came to Christ of my own free will, 
is a lie. Not according to me, but according to the Bible. But that's a whole nother sermon, so we're going to set that over here and move along here. We need to understand that God can and does override the free will of men. Do you know why God can do that? Because He's God. And because He's sovereign. God is sovereign over all His creation. If there is any time that God can come to me and say, Now I want you to do this, but I'm going to give you the choice. He will not do that. Do you know why? Because I will always choose sin. I will always choose the wrong one. Always. So this is another reason why uh, the, the sovereignty of God is such a, a, a comfort to us. Uh, Proverbs 21 and verse 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. Listen, did you know, do you know why? I can't remember his name. Putin. Do you know why he invaded the Ukraine? Ultimately, do you know why? Because God allowed it. That's why. He could not do it on his own. He did it because God allowed it. We don't even know God may have orchestrated it. We don't know. But the point is, God, it says that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. Everything that happens in the world and in your life, God either causes it or he permits it. You understand that? Do you realize how comforting that is? If you're not, I hope by the time I'm done this morning that you will. Look in chapter 16 of Proverbs. Look at the first three verses. <clears throat> The plan of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. We make our plans, but God is the one who determines whether or not they succeed. And we are responsible to make plans. We are responsible to make wise decisions. But we need to understand that God is the final determiner of whether they succeed or whether they fail. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> In our lifetimes, well, in the history of the world, basically, there have been two global wars. We refer to them as World War I and World War II. Now, I love history. I especially love to study and read about World War II. But let me tell you what happened. In World War I, when it started... The Ottoman Empire had control of what is today known as Israel. And they weren't going to give it to anybody. But in World War I, the British took it from them. Now the British were in control of it. In World War II, the Jewish people had no homeland. They didn't even want one. They were happy where they were. But after six million died, they decided maybe they needed their own homeland. So in World War I, God provided the land for the people. And in World War II, he provided the people for the land. You see how God works in all that? 
And, and we look at that and say, well, you know, th these wars were such senseless and useless and terrible things. But yet God says, well, you, do you see what I accomplished in the midst of that? You know why God could do that? He's sovereign because God is sovereign. So uh, the, the things that happen, we need to understand that uh, verse 3 literally sa says that the reality uh, should cause us to be in humble dependence upon God. And it says that, uh, verse 2 says that God's sovereignty extends even to judgment. And we need to understand that God is a sovereign judge, but He judges rightly. We don't judge rightly. But God does judge rightly. He knows everything. Uh, God judges the motives, not just the actions. Let me tell you something. That ought to make every one of us tremble where we stand. That God looks at me and he sees me up here and, and he sees me preaching the word and he says to me, why are you doing this? Are you doing it because you like to be the center of attention? Are you doing this because you like the sound of your voice? Or are you doing this because you want the people to hear my word and to see them grow and mature as believers and get into their heart? The point is, God says, I see what you're doing. I also want to know why you're doing it. Whatever we do, when you go out and you share the gospel, God says, okay, great, but why are you doing it? When we go out and we help those that are in need, God says, great, but why are you doing it? Do you understand that we need to understand that God uh, judges us not based on just what we do, but on why we do it. As sinful human beings, we have a tendency to deceive ourselves about our own goodness. I mean, how many of you, if somebody come up and said, describe yourself to me, would look at them and say, I want to tell you I am a vile Sinner, I am a terrible person. None of us would do that. We should. You know why? Because it's true. <laughs> but we don't do that because we are deceive ourselves about our own goodness. We tend to judge according to our own standard. <clears throat> I tend to judge you based on whether you talk, act, and respond the way that I would. Or the way that I think you should. And if you don't, then you're wrong. You understand that? I'm always right. Now, you know I don't really mean that. But that's always our attitude. Our attitude is, I'm always the one. I can look at you and say, well, I would never do that. So they're wrong. And so we have a tendency. So this is why we need to leave uh, this. Now, now, don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying that we as believers are not called to judge because we are. But I want to tell you something. What Paul tells us that we are to judge those who are within the house of God, not outside. Did you know that? But we are to judge with a righteous judgment. But we have, must judge according to God's standard. Uh, God knows the secrets of our hearts. Again, that should make every one of us fall on our knees trembling before our God. We need to be like the, the, the David in Psalm 139. That's my favorite psalm in the whole book. Verses 23 and 24 where he says, Search me, O God. Try me and look and see if there's any wicked way in me. How many times ha have you gone before God and said, Lord, 
You are sovereign. You know everything. You know when I lie down. You know when I wake up. You know where I go. You know my thoughts before I even speak them. Look into my heart and show me what's there. By the way, don't pray that if you don't mean it. Because you ain't going to like what you find. But this is what the, the, the right Solomon says here. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. And our response should be to commit our work to the Lord, to submit to him in all things. We have a tendency to make our plans and say, you know, I think that this course of action is the best thing for my life. And we put that plan into action. And along the way, we pray and ask God to bless it. We as a church, we, we make our plans and say, we think this is the best course of action for our church. So we begin this and we implement this plan and we move forward and we pray and we ask God to bless it. That is not how it works. How it works is we say, here's what we think we should do. Let's go ask God and then let's implement it based on what he says. We are not in control of our life, and we need to understand that is a good thing. That's a good thing. I'm glad that my salvation doesn't depend on me. You know why? Because I'd be on my way to hell. I'm glad that salvation is all of God from beginning to end. It's all Him, none of me. Come on, say it with me. The only thing... We contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. That's it. It's all of God. I'm not in control. And I'm glad. Not only am I glad that I'm not in control of my salvation, I'm glad that I am not in control of my day-to-day -day life. Because I have a tendency. Okay, you ready for this? This is going to surprise you. I have a tendency to make bad decisions. <laughs> By the way, so do you. Hey, look, the only good I ever do is when I go to Whataburger. And that's because the Lord led me. Aren't you glad you're not in control of your own life? Look at verse 4. <clears throat> The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. He is assured, be assured, he will not go unpunished. God will severely judge evil. God brings everything to his desired end and goal, even the wicked for the day of judgment. Would you agree with me that especially in the last few years, we have seen evil rear its head like never before in history? Uh, this, this morning, when I was, uh, after I got dressed, I was waiting on Cindy to get dressed. I was watching CBS Sunday morning, something like that. I can't remember what it's called. And they had this piece on there about this um, transgender swimmer. And it showed this woman who was an Olympic gold medalist back years ago, and she was just, this is just not right. It's not fair. Now, she was not decrying the fact that he was transgender. <laughs> she was decrying the fact that he was competing with women that he shouldn't have been. 
And then it showed some people who says, I wanted this one guy, he was from Australia. <clears throat> he was a woman who was transitioning into a man. And he says, one thing people need to understand, we will not be denied. We will not. This will not be tolerated. Do you know who ought to be saying that? Us. We're the ones that should be saying it. But we look at everything that's going on, all the evil, the, 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 the countless millions of unborn children that are being murdered and slaughtered in the womb. And we wonder, God, why don't you do something? But I want to tell you something, folks. He is and he will. We may not understand it, but we need to remember what the psalmist, uh, he said to the psalmist, he says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. But God uses human rebellion for his purposes. You want me to tell you the ultimate example of that? It's the cross. When Jesus, the Son of God, hung there in shame and agony and, and, and boy bearing the sin of his people, and, he, and, and we look and we say, how could God let that happen? Not too long ago, I came across a preacher on YouTube. I never heard of him before, but I, and I thought, well, you know, I'll listen and see what he said. And here's something he said. <clears throat> what a tragedy. What a tragedy that God would let that happen to his son. That's not what God intended to happen. God intended for Jesus to come and love people and save people. And look what they did to him. I want to tell you something, folks. That preacher needs to sit down and shut up. Because I want to tell you from the very beginning, the cross of Christ was the plan. God was not taken. Some people have this idea that the cross was plan B. Plan A didn't work, so God went to plan B. That's, that's not it. God doesn't have a plan B. He only has a plan A. So God uses the human rebellion for his good purposes. And do you realize that, that those sinful men who took Jesus and crucified him, that it was their sin that brought about our salvation? You understand that? Oh, by the way, not just their sin, but our sin involved too. Okay, I don't want you to get the idea that we didn't have a part in that. But the wickedness of man does not frustrate the plans of God. God's sovereignty is good news because it means that evil and suffering will not last. And that it will not overcome. That God is sovereign. Do, do you really want to live in a world where God's not in control? You know, in the book of Colossians, as we read, Paul says about the Lord Jesus Christ that he is the creator of everything and that it is by him all things hold together. R.C. Sproul used to say we need to understand there is not one maverick molecule in this universe. It's all under the hand of God. And, and I look at the world we live in. I was talking with some, some people the other day about this. When you look at how evil our world is today and everything that's going on, just imagine what this would look like if God weren't in control. By the way, do you know there's coming a day when they're going to find out what that's like? Now, he'll be in control, but he's just going to step back. 
and, and we're going to find out. But, but I am so glad, you know, Charles Spurgeon one time said, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the believer can lay his head and rest and sleep. Huh? Look at verse 6. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with the righteous than a great revenue with injustice. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. God's sovereignty is what brings about our salvation. I am saved today because God is sovereign. If you're saved, you're saved because God is sovereign. God is not only sovereign over his creation, but God is sovereign over salvation. And God, uh, he, we need to understand that, that God must Pour out his wrath on sin. God cannot tolerate sin. God will never excuse sin. Sin must be dealt with. You understand that? Let me tell you, there are two ways sin can be dealt with. At the cross or in hell. And that's the only two. That's the only two places. For those who are saved... For those who are truly followers of Jesus Christ, who have placed their faith and their trust in Him and received the gift of eternal life that He offers, we need to understand that our sin was judged at the cross. Verse 6, he says, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity was atoned for. God made atonement. God is the one who took care of all of this. You know, once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would offer the blood of, this, of the sacrifice upon the altar, the mercy seat of God. Here's an interesting thing that I have found. You know, I, 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 I did a study one time on the, the Old Testament tabernacle that they built at Moses. Gave. Do you know, this is interesting, that every single aspect the dimensions of it the materials how it was laid out how it was packed up how it was moved everything with that tabernacle in the wilderness pointed to Christ some way or another every single thing but there was one thing in particular in the tabernacle and in the temple later that really pointed to him more than anything else and that was the mercy seat upon the altar where the high priest sprinkled the blood of the of, of the lamb now let me tell you something the apostle john in first john he says that jesus is the propitiation for our sins that's a, that's a good word, propitiation. You may tell you what the Old Testament word for propitiation is? Mercy seat. You understand what John is saying? Jesus is the mercy seat for us. And God is the one who provided this. Jesus didn't look down. God didn't look down and say, oh, look at those good little people. They need to be saved. I'm going to go down there and take care of them. That's not what he did. If we'd have been in God's shoes and looked down and saw that people did nothing but hate us. You see, by nature, we want to get as far away from God as we can. We don't want anything to do with Him. 
I want to tell you something. Even in my new nature, there are times I still do that. We all do. Because that sin nature is still there. But I want to tell you, God looked down and he said, I know these people hate me. I know they're enemies of mine. I know they war against me, but I'm going to go love them and save them, whether they like it or not. And I'm glad. I'm glad of that. God, after you are saved by the atonement that he makes, we are made wise and holy through our dependence on him. And verse 7 says that salvation includes the defeat of even our enemies. But listen, when he talks about our enemies right here in verse 7, he's not talking about those outside here who hate us and all this. I want to tell you the enemies he's talking about. He's talking about Satan, sin, and death. Satan, sin, and death. They have no power over me, none whatsoever, because of Christ, because of the atonement that he has made. And we need to understand that that is where we are. The cross clearly reveals the sovereignty of God. And God's sovereignty means that suffering and chaos that come into your life. Listen, this is the comforting part where it comes in. The chaos and the suffering we go through in this world, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. Paul tells Timothy, he says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But we need to understand that all the suffering and all the chaos in our life, it is not meaningless. It is not for nothing. And it is not final. Sin doesn't have the final word in my life. Satan doesn't have the final word in my life. Death does not have the final word in my life. God does. Aren't you glad of that? God ordains all things. Verse 9, he says, The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Roger, isn't that what you said this morning when you got here? You know, I'll tell you. Roger and Vivian were headed to Hawaii Tuesday morning. Well, had not been for Monday evening, they would have been headed to Hawaii. But we all know what happened Monday evening, right? And one of the, the roof blew off of one of his, his, his house he's been working on. And so they couldn't go. When he got here this morning, I didn't know they didn't go. He said, I, he said, I, said, I thought you were in Hawaii. And he says, you know, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines what happens. And that's just exactly what the, pro the proverb says right here. God ordains all things. And, and we look at this. Listen, I don't think we understand what a comfort that is to us. We look and say, well, it's not fair that God doesn't let me make my own decisions. Have you seen the decisions you make? That's why we ought to be glad. Verse 10, an oracle is on the lips of a king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. It is an abomination to kings to do evil. To the, for the throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the de delight of a king. And he who loves him who speaks what is right. 
A king's wrath is a messenger of death, and a wise man will appease it. In the light of the king's face there is life, and his favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rains. Verses 10 through 15 give the picture of a messianic king who will rule the earth. You know what his name is, right? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Verse 10 says that God's verdict is on the king's lips, making infallible judgments. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus, before he ascended back into heaven, spoke to his disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. All authority. The one who is God in the flesh, who came and bore our sins, and, and, and he says that he is the rightful king. You know, in, on Wednesday evenings, we've been going through the book of Revelation. And it's interesting as we see the first couple of chapters of Revelation, especially chapters 2 and 3, where the letters are sent out to the seven churches. And the whole point being that Christ is sovereign over his church, that he is Lord over his church. He is the one that can snuff out their candles. He is the one who can lift them up. But then we see as he goes and takes the scroll from the one who sits on the throne, the title deed to the universe. And as he unfolds them, you know why he unfolds them? He's the only one worthy to unfold them. You know why he's the only one worthy? He's God. He is God the Son. And so he is the one uh, that, that is the, the ultimate and the rightful king of our world. And, and verse 11 gives an example of Yahweh's justice. He says, a just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. The church should model fairness, equity, and righteousness in the world. We as a church are called to be different from them. Okay? We, we, we've talked about this, I think, every Sunday for the last month. The world's definition of love and God's definition of love are two different things. God's definition says that when I sin, you point it out to me because you love me. Because it will hurt me. The world says, if you love me, you just accept anything I do, anything I say, and how I am. So that's the way the world's love works. But we as the church are called to be different. I want to tell you something, folks. You've heard me say this before. The world outside, those that are lost and without Christ, they need us to be the church. They don't know that, but they need us to be the church. They need us to be preaching the gospel. They need us to be proclaiming the message of the love of Christ. And let me remind you, I haven't said this for quite some time. We're not interested in doing what brings people in the door. We're not called to bring people to church. We're called to bring people to Christ. 
And that's what we need to be doing. But here he says that the church is to be the model of all of this. And verse 12 shows how and why the king must uphold justice. It says it is an abomination to the kings to do evil for the throne is established by righteousness. This throne is not an earthly throne. This is a throne where the king of kings sits. The king of righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ, this is fulfilled in him. Jesus is the only king who can rule perfectly and has the right. And he does this by carrying out judgment, especially or including capital punishment. Look at verse 14. A king's wrath is a messenger of death and a wise man will appease it. There, there's some guys up there around Van Austin that, that I have a Bible study with every now and then. And, and we were talking the other day about the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, about how they had come back from Babylonian captivity and, and the Israelites and how Ezra and Nehemiah were leading them and be rebuilding the temple, reinstituting the sacrifices and the worship and everything. And, uh, you know, Tim, he sent me a verse of scripture here a while back and and I did. It just made me laugh when I read it because I, I pictured the scene in my mind. and It was hilarious. But when I read what really happened, it's not funny anymore. Now, I'm going to tell you why. And I think that it's an indictment on us today because you see the people of Nehemiah and Ezra's day, these people who were there, uh, they were making a mockery of the of the worship of God. They were disobeying God's commands left and right. And you know what Ezra did? Ezra went out into the crowd and he started cursing and kicking and punching and pulling hair and everything. He was angry. He was he was beside himself with anger. And you and I today, we need that kind of conviction against sin that he had. Can you imagine if I as a pastor And I find out that you're living in some kind of sin and you won't do it. And I come put you in a headlock and I'm beating you. I'm doing the Nolan Ryan thing on your head. And I'm saying you will not dishonor my God in that way. That's what he was saying. And and, and here it says. A king's wrath is a messenger of death. A messenger of death. Listen, you may not know this, and if you don't, then you ain't been listening to me for the last four years. So listen real close. You have to write this down, okay? God hates sin. It's just that simple. God hates sin. And it will not be tolerated. Verse 15. In the light of the king's face, there is life and his favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rains. The wise person kisses the sun so that he does not become angry. That's what Psalmist said in Psalm chapter two. Kiss the sun so that he does not become angry. Our response to the loving sovereignty of God is only one thing. Isaiah gives us the perfect picture. Do you know what Isaiah did when he was confronted with the sovereignty of who God was? He fell on his face. He said, woe is me. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. 
We bow because God's sovereign plan for the world is centered in the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite passages in the entire Bible is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. In those verses, Paul talks about the humiliation and the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, have this same mind among you. He said, Jesus came here and he took upon himself the form of a servant Better translated, a slave. A slave is worse than a servant. But it says that he became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. But, I love that word. But, God has highly exalted him, given him a name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God's sovereign plan to exalt the Son and through Him to redeem people from every people group on earth. This is God's plan. Look at verse 33 of chapter 16. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. This chapter begins and ends with the sovereignty of God. That God's in control. That it's all His. He does what He pleases. And God is pleased to order the affairs of men. And therefore, we must always live in full trust of His wisdom in ordering our ways. You ever been disappointed? You ever looked forward to something you thought was going to be wonderful in your life, only to have it fall away? You say, oh God, why'd you do that? And God's saying, trust me. Trust me. And you may not ever know this side of heaven what that was all about. But look, we're either going to trust God or we're not. It's just that simple. And I cannot, if I trust God over here, but I don't trust God over there, you know what that's called? Total disbelief. Just like if I obey God over here, but I don't obey God over there, that's not partial obedience. That's complete disobedience. So we need to learn to trust God in all our ways because He is sovereign. But uh, resting in God and, and in His sovereignty is not passive. It doesn't mean we just sit back and do nothing. We are to be out there. We, we are to seek the Lord and to labor in all that we do with the purpose of one thing. Paul told us there in Galatians, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. You know, I, I had somebody, I got a friend of mine, he, he knows how much I love Spurgeon. So he's always teasing me and acting like he don't like Charles Spurgeon. And he's always talking about how Charles Spurgeon smoked cigars. <laughs> and I'm always telling him what Spurgeon said, I'm going to smoke it to the glory of God. said everything we do is to be done to the glory of God. If I preach, I'm to do it to the glory of God. If you are a deacon, an elder, a, whatever you are, you're to do it to the glory of God. If you sing, if you sweep the church, if you clean the windows, whatever it is, do everything to the glory of God. But you will not do that. You will not do everything to the glory of God until you understand who God is and that He's sovereign and in control. 
There's nothing better or more satisfying than knowing what we want is what God wants for us. You know, Pastor Adrian Rogers used to say, when we go to God in prayer, we have this idea that I go and I tell God what I need and what I want, and He takes care of it. That makes God my personal genie. He said, but that's not prayer. Prayer is me going to God, finding out what He's doing, and then getting in on it. He said, that's prayer. He said, God wants for us what we would want for ourselves if we had enough sense to know that's what we needed and wanted. You understand that? Isn't that true? Let us learn to commit our plans and our actions to our sovereign God. And like Isaiah, bow before him as the cherubim cry out and say, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You know, we see that in Isaiah chapter 6. We see it in Revelation chapter 1, where these four living creatures cry out and say, Holy, holy, holy. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know that where you sit right now, you're there because God said so. Because God said so. You know, I have always believed <clears throat> nobody ever walks through the door of a church accidentally. If you're here sitting in this congregation today, do you know why you're here? Because God said so. Do we trust Him? Are we going to follow this God who is sovereign? <clears throat> you know, I don't know how many of you here have ever personally been through a, an event like a tornado? I have personally. It took me years to get over it. I mean, I, I mean, it, it did. I, every train would wake me up in the middle of the night. It's a terrible thing. But we look at something like, like this tornado or a hurricane or an earthquake or whatever it is, some natural disaster. And we look and say, how could God let that happen? And God says, trust me. It's just that simple. Now, as I said, quoted Stephen Lawson, God's word's not hard to understand. It can just be hard to swallow. But God says, do you believe that I am who I am? Do you believe that I am sovereign over your salvation? Do you believe that you are saved because I said you would be saved? Because I'll promise you, folks, if he'd left it up to us, none of us would be saved. And I also want to remind you that salvation from beginning to end is all of God. As we learned in the book of Colossians, Christ is sufficient. If my salvation is based on 99% what Christ did and 1% what I do, I'm going to hell. It's 100% Christ and none of me. 
And we need to understand it. And, and you see, we, we, we gain comfort from knowing that God is sovereign, that whatever I wake up in the morning, whatever that phone call that I didn't expect comes, whatever that, uh, that, that pink slip I get from work comes, I can say, God, you already knew this. And as devastating, as scary as this is, I know you're in control. But you see, that's how he wants us to. Sometimes I think he intentionally puts us in positions where we have to look to him so that we will understand. He says, I'm all you need. It may surprise you. You know, as Vernon McGee used to say, it may surprise you to know that nothing surprises God. He's in control. Let's pray. Father. Oh, God, we thank you this morning for your sovereignty. That you are God. There's none like you. There were no gods before you and there will be none after you. We thank you that in your sovereignty you saw fit, Father, to bring salvation to a people that hated you that rejected you. But Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to take upon himself our sin. And by the sovereign call of your Holy Spirit, Father, we come that we might believe and be saved. Thank you, Father, that you have given us new life in Christ while we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So, Father, may we move forward in our lives learning to trust you, to trust that every event in our life is ordained by you, and that you are a loving and a wise God who has never failed, never let us down. So, Father, strengthen our faith. And help us to do everything to your glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you stand?